Welcome to Untangling Circularity, the podcast that addresses unanswered circular economy questions in a relatable and fun, engaging manner. I am Laura Novich, and along with my colleague and co-host, Cynthia Power, we created this platform to have impactful conversations with thought leaders in the circularity space and highlight sustainable solutions that are available to us all. So please enjoy this episode. Thanks to our sponsor, Trove, the market leader in branded retail and trade-in for world-class brands and retailers such as Canada Goose, Lululemon, Patagonia, REI, Levi's, Arcteryx, Allbirds, and more. Through its proprietary re-commerce operating system, Trove is accelerating the shift toward more sustainable business models, foundational for circularity. Over the last decade, Trove has equipped leading brands with technology and operations to create and scale branded resale programs by enabling customer trade-in of items, single SKU identification and condition grading, site build and maintenance, and customer data collection, analytics, and reporting. Visit Trove.com if you're interested in learning more. <laughs> hey, welcome back to the Untangling Circularity podcast and our current season on learning about repair across industries and dancing. Just kidding. Just repair across <laughs> industries. Just Yeah, just for now. In our little pre-chat uh, fun side chat, um, we thought we'd share a little tidbit, uh, fun, fun tidbit. So uh, I own, today we're talking about cars. I own a car, but... I Laura do not. not. <laughs> <laughs> and you will hear that in the conversation later. You will hear her lack of knowledge about driving a car will come through loud and clear. You know, her lack you're of welcome. You're yeah. Welcome, mm-hmm. everybody. That's a fun yeah. little treat. Um, Laura's representing all of the mass transit folks of the world, which is very important. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. is. Uh, yeah, I think we could go into that, but it is still important to learn about auto repair and mm-hmm. it's yes, learning. It um, yes. well, we're really excited to hear about Ron's perspective on, on, on auto repair. But before we jump into that conversation, we wanted to just quickly share a few stats about auto repair for some context that can help um, with that conversation. So in 2022, there were about 280,000 automotive repair facilities in the U.S. with about 615,000 employees. Nice amount. Uh, Electric vehicles will be the most popular passenger vehicle by 2028. And the car repair industry globally was worth about 789.8 billion in 2021. And that's projected to grow to about $1.6 trillion um, dollars by 2031. So interesting. Big numbers. Big numbers. <laughs> These are very big numbers. Um, yeah. So now we can jump into our conversation with Ron. It's exciting. Yeah. Okay, great. Hi, Ron. Um, hey, we're really what's excited. Happening? Hi, we're really excited to talk with you today. We have Ron Grossinger, and I'm yeah. going to give you, uh, I'm going to share Mr. a little. G. Mr. G. <laughs> we'll, we'll call you Mr. G. Um, right. I'm going to do your bio, and then we're going to hop into our conversation. Let's so, do it. Ron Grossinger, also known as Mr. G, has been a high school auto and metal shop teacher for 19 years. His experience I can't lies. Believe in, it. That's a long time. It's that very a long time. Impressive. I don't know how that happened. I feel like I just started. (laughs) That's good. His experience lies in converting gasoline cars to electric vehicles. This is accomplished by empowering high school students to engage in engineering level design and prototyping. 
Beyond the classroom, he runs a shop class business where he offers makerspace style workshops in welding, machining, and electric car conversion for interested individuals outside the typical high school setting. So basically, I'm a high school auto and metal shop teacher, and I focus on converting cars from gas to electric. Uh, we did it way before uh, it was popular. First conversion we did was back in 2008. Mm. Um, wow. So, yeah. So, That's so you know, cool. And, it, yeah. and imagine uh, Tesla wasn't even on the stock market yet. No. So people think, oh, the, the price of a Tesla stock is inflated. Yeah. I'm like, nah, that's about right because uh, they're going to absolutely be the iPhone of cars. So just mm -hmm. imagine, you, you know, it's huge. And I knew this back then. And so did my students. And yeah. we, we did, did you it invest in Tesla, Tesla though. I, d I did. I did. <laughs> I did <Good>. annoyingly. <laughs> okay. I'm the only one. No one believed me. I literally to I told everyone I knew. I told my friends, my family, people I didn't know, strangers on the street. I would randomly just talk to people. Hey, you know you should buy Tesla stock. I told everybody. And I have only like a very few amount of people that listened. Most people did not listen. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, actually, the craziest part about this is that a student is the one who convinced me to buy the stock. So, you know, when you, when when schools invest in students, it comes back tenfold. Mm -hmm. and, and, and a perfect example would be um, so we built the electric car and then a student got obsessed with electric cars. Right. I was into it. But I didn't really understand what was going on. I just understood just on a local level. So that kid went to college, bought Tesla stock. The, what looks like what it, on the stock chart now looks flat, right? But there was a pop. Mm -hmm. And believe me, it looks flat now, okay? But a little pop. And then what he did was he sold it and paid for his college semester and then he went and took me out to lunch. He called me because I hadn't spoke to him in a couple of years. And he called me and he texted you know, I always keep in touch through LinkedIn and through mm -hmm. email and stuff. And so he got in touch with me. He says, listen, Mr. G, I want to take you out for lunch. And I was like, yeah, let's go out for lunch, man. What are you up to? And he was like about 20 at the time. He's like, look, we're going to go out to lunch, man. I'm going to tell you the whole story. <laughs> so he told me and he's like, look, there's this guy named Elon Musk. And I'm like, who's that? He's like, nah, 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 listen, you can't say who's that. You got to know who this is. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, you should buy Tesla stock. They're going to be huge. And I was like, yeah, probably not. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, come on. And so I waited on that for a year then. And I was broke, you know, like when you're a teacher, you're, you're making enough to live in the neighborhood. It's sort of in the neighborhood, but like, you're not me. You're not like driving BMWs and stuff. So yeah. at the time, I got a second job at another college at a college teaching part time. So I had a little extra money. I already took care of all my expenses. And so I had a little extra money. I was like, hmm. So I bought a little stock and then that led me down the rabbit hole. I don't know if people know there's an entire universe of of YouTubers that just dissect Tesla. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Financial engineering. Uh, predictions of the future, you know, everything. And so I, I dove down the rabbit hole. And when they, uh, I finally was like, you know what? 
I'm going to start buying some Tesla stock. I bought a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And I just kept adding, just kept adding, 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 adding. And then the pandemic hit, like, and the stock started to go up and the pandemic hit and it crashed. And my dad was like, I told you, you're so stupid, blah, blah, blah. Even though I'm like in my 40s, he's still telling me I'm dumb. And, um, and you know, tough love, you know, he's a New Yorker. So, uh, and I was like, no, we just have to hold on. I trust what's happening at Tesla. You know, people get obsessed with Elon, but the thing is, it's not just Elon. There's 150,000 people working at Tesla globally. Mm-hmm. So it's not just him. Well. Anyway, so <laughs> I went and drove the car and I was like, wow, this thing's really good. And I held on. And during the pandemic, 15 racks. That's a fantastic, I love that kind of story, both the, the educational piece of it and your, I mean, Tesla, like what a great kind of, um, just when you're talking about electric cars, right? Like they're mm-hmm. kind of, like you said, the iPhone of electric cars. So I know today we want to talk about um, all of this with you. So I know um, we have some questions and Laura, yeah. do you want But to keep in mind, uh, also I should say, I then took him out to lunch because then I owed him, uh, but <laughs> uh, the student alumni. But keep in mind, um, the way I repaid him, was I got him a job at Tesla. Oh, so I knew cool. the recruiter. Yeah. So now he went from the dealership and because the dealership is owned by Tesla. So if you work at the dealership he and then you Tesla, study engineering, yeah. you can go from repair work to engineering work. That's wow. awesome. So there is a direct transfer there. So people, people should not sleep on that. Look at the dealership of yeah. a Tesla yeah. dealer. That's, yeah. that's entry level engineer work. Yeah. Well, for yeah. the well, yeah. Tesla did not pay us for this conversation. Oh, no, 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 they didn't. Yeah. They did not, no. Yeah. And um, then also keep in mind another piece to the puzzle, which I know we're going to get to in this podcast about repair and modification, mm-hmm. is that Tesla did not start just out of nowhere. They actually started back in 2003. It's wow. an older company than people realize. Yeah. And they yeah. started by modifying a Lotus. Yeah. So they took a Lotus and then they put an electric motor in there. So, so, and they had to take laptop batteries and they bought hmm. it from a company that was just experimenting. So yeah. when they talk about garage startups, yeah. Tesla is a very small startup that grew. Hmm. And yeah. so they did, they did the work and they, they did not come out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, so That's a lot cool. of people think they just showed up. Yeah. They did the yeah. work to get to Love here. That. So anyway. Let's well, talk so about I guess, yeah, that, I think that this is my, one of our first questions while we're kind of on this is, you know, we, when we had our prep call, we were talking about how you, obviously you teach and um, you teach some of the repair, but some of it is more of that hands-on experience and to understand like the root of the problem and not just show them, okay, this is the fix. Just keep replicating this. You kind of show them your students or whoever you're, you're teaching to, figure out what that problem is and use their tools. So, you know, I, I, I think that that's a great concept to not just show exactly how you do it and just keep replicating it, but to learn how to do it so that you can replicate it in different ways and keep, you know, yeah. going further. So, you know, I, I think you could probably add to that a little bit. Um, yeah. So like, for instance, you don't, you don't want to be like, I don't want to be the greatest eight track player teacher you know like if i teach people how to fix eight track players i don't even know if people know what the eight track player is but there was this thing back in the day from (laughs) 
from records. We went from records. Actually, we went from wax tubes to records. And then they went to the, um, I think, reel the reel. And then they went to 8-track, which was like a reel. And, and then and then from there, they went to cassette, which everybody knows the cassette. Everybody made a mixtape for their girlfriend or whatever, you know. So. Oh, yeah. I am the queen of mixtapes. I think there I still go. am. Yeah, that's my well, fun fact. Oh, yeah. Mixtapes are great. You can record it right off the radio. It's hilarious. And you edit out the commercials, you know. Or you keep so, them, yeah. And you decorate it or whatever. So and these kids don't know anything about this. They, it, cassette? Well, they saw it in the movies probably. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, so like, uh, you know, they went to cassette. But I don't want to teach people how to fix cassettes, right? Because even if I'm the greatest A-track repair person, teacher that ever lived, I'm completely useless once the technology changes, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so same thing goes for automotive, right? So like if I teach people how to fix brake pads, like what am I teaching them? There's a robot that's going to do that in the future. Um, and then anyone who says like, no, a robot can't do a brake job. They can't change brake pads. Really? So you trust your entire bank account at an ATM machine automated bank teller <laughs> it counts money right okay yeah so you trust it with your bank account um so uh you know the, the break jobs are just a, a step away by the way they got there's burger flippers come in to burger king they're, they're not gonna have people flipping burgers yeah. and by the way the analogy i came up with was like there's no chefs working at burger king right so what mm -hmm. I want to do is I want to create chefs, right? Mm -hmm. Burger King is looking for workers. And if the worker value goes up, they will use a robot and cancel the worker. Yeah. They'll just use a robot. So if I can, if I teach my students, this is basically the, the, the bookend of this comment is basically if, if, if I teach my students something that a robot can do, I'm doing them a disservice. That's not, we're not doing that. So what I do is yeah. I teach them like, what, how does a break work? What exactly is happening? Right. And can you make an improvement? You know, and it's all about that innovation. So yes, you want to be able to learn how to do the repair, but you want to learn why, why is it happening? Like, how yeah. does it happen? And, and with breaks, you're making a, a deal. The deal with the breaks is I'll, ch I'll, I'll exchange, like if I was a piece of metal, I'll change uh, rotational energy for heat. You're making an, an exchange. So yeah. I'm like, okay, when I step on the thing, there's a, there's a friction pad that hits a piece of steel. There's two friction pads that squeeze. And it's like a bicycle brake, basically. You're just changing it for heat. But then Tesla's like, why would you do that? We want that heat. That's loss. That's yeah. an energy loss, right? Yeah. If you're an engineer, you don't want to lose anything. Yeah. You want to use it. Okay. Um, so you were talking a lot about your students and kind of teaching them some of those skills to learn how to kind of transform things, to take one understanding of a part and how to apply that someplace else and kind of come up with these larger understandings. So I think um, that's my next question is really about that repair skill in general for people, especially for students that are or younger students, I should say, high school students. So, so uh, I'll explain repair and how special as an as an entry. Yeah. 
an entry into engineering, how special repair is. Um, and I'll tell you a story about when I used to, when I used to like one of the first cars I worked on as a kid. Um, so I used to tinker around with lawnmowers and whatnot, but the first car I ever got. Really? Is that, the worst that's shocking car. to me, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that at all. I can't yeah. either. You know, I'm like Legos, like lawnmowers, uh, you know, bicycles, like all that stuff, you know? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and my parents were like beside themselves because the, I don't know what they thought was going to happen, but the, they didn't expect all this. So, you know, I have the, it's in the DNA. It's not my fault. You know, I think my long lost ancestors were engineers at some point. I don't know. Um, we all are. But my mom oh. and my dad, my mom, my mom was an art teacher and my dad was a baker. So like the, and for some reason, uh, even though they worked with their hands, they did not want their little Ronnie working on cars. <laughs> and I saw I was scaring the crap out of them every time. Grease and, you know, tools. They thought it was insane. Uh, you, know? So, you know, they're like, oh, he's going to be a lawyer. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I'll argue like a lawyer, but I don't want to I don't want to be in court all day. That'd be terrible. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I'll tell you a little story of how special repair is. The first car I ever had is the worst car they ever made in the whole world, which is the, the Yugo. Did you ever hear about this car? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the Yugo is a Yugoslavian car, and it was made <laughs> as an effort. Yeah, made as an effort to uh, make a very cheap car for the United States. And um, it was like $8,000 brand new in 1989 or something like that. And uh, it quickly uh, tanked went out of business and uh, just ended up in the scrapyards. So uh, I, I'm crazy. I was reading all these car magazines and they're like, uh, yeah, you know, these, these cars, even though they have plastic parts on the inside, the underneath is actually pretty good. Like the engine is actually from a Fiat. Hmm. And so it was really all these corporations that got together and licensed that car to Yugoslavian government. Mm. So it was actually a good car, but it was not assembled. Yeah. Yet, mm. Right. And uh, some of the fit and finish was terrible. So anyway, it ended up in the dumpster. And uh, that was my, that was my place of learning as I used to go to a junkyard. Right. Mm. And so one rolled in and I just read about how you could make them better and make, take them racing. So I was like, Ooh, oh know, boy. Racing. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> and it was cheap. So I rolled in my, on my bicycle, you know, and I'm like, uh, I, I got to have this car. And the junkyard guy's like, uh, nah, you can't. This is not, we don't sell cars. We sell parts. I go, no, you don't understand. I have to have this. I have to have this. He's like, he's like, all right. He's like, all right. You know, he's like a Jersey guy. He's like, all right, look, 200 bucks. It's going to be 200 bucks, kid. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. And I was working for my dad in this gas station. So I had 200 bucks. So I went and got the $200, you know, and I gave it to him. And he's like, okay, great. Yeah. How are you getting it home? And I was like, <laughs> I have no idea. He's like, you can't drive. It's got no, you got no license. You got no, you got no insurance. It's not registered, you know? So anyway, long story short, he's like, ah, so he tows it to my house for free. Wow which in hindsight, I realized, how, you know, that was a value. Yeah. And uh, I, I fixed it. And I had this moment while I was under the car. This is the repair story, right? I was under the car. And I was trying to understand, you know, because I didn't have any guidance. So you're basically looking at three-dimensional shapes. Mm -hmm. You know, steel 
at room temperature is like ice. Yeah. It's just frozen. It's just sitting there, right? But someone thought of that shape. So I was underneath doing the brakes and the light had like this drop light and it was like in my face. So I took my hat and I kind of like, I kind of like covered the light and it made this really soft light. Then the soft light spread all over the components. Hmm. And I just like, my heart started pumping and I was like, oh my God, this is the ideas. Hmm. These are engineering ideas frozen in steel. Hmm. I was like, oh man. I was like, that's someone's idea. Like they thought of that. Like they put that hole there because they wanted a bolt to hold it. They put this hydraulic line over here because they knew it had to move. They used rubber over here. They used this. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Like you learn how to read, not words, Mm. but shapes Mm. and the function of the shapes. Mm. So this is like, that was a big moment for me. I like, I I was already into cars and I fell in love with something different. I fell in love with engineering yeah. by fixing cars. Hmm. And that's the point of yeah. the story is like, hmm. you know, think about these are shapes. These are ideas. I, it's not the car. Who cares about the car? It's not the car. Yeah. You're basically falling, falling in love with people and their creativity. Hmm. I fell in love with people at that moment. I was like, oh my God, these are really good ideas, yeah. but they're frozen. So I I think that leads to another question is why are we even repairing cars in the first place? (laughs) Uh, Like why if, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Why are we repairing them? Um, You know, the thing is that, okay, so it's all about compromise. So of course, why are they breaking, right? Like why do some things break and other things don't? And if these ideas are so good, you know, how come they don't make them better, right? Well, engineering is a compromise because, you know, it's kind of like this. If you are making a pizza at your house, okay, you're making a pizza at your house and you got guests coming over that you actually care about, well, you're going to go buy, like, it's not, you know, it's not food for an eight-year-old. You're going to buy, like, fresh mozzarella. Yeah. And you're going to go get like the best ingredients yeah. mm-hmm. and you're going to roll out the dough and you're going to take pride and it's going to cost you more to make that pizza than if you bought it from the best restaurant, yeah. Yeah. right? Because you're buying the individual things and you're putting them together. You're cooking it yourself. You're looking in the oven, you know, and you're doing this thing, right? I and made so pizza last the night. Thing about- oh, you did? Yeah. You had pizza? Top quality? Yes, it was four, four or five year old. I made, I made, made the pizza. pizza. I made good stuff. Yes. Wow. And you made the good stuff, right? What you like the guests that came over? Myself. No, she didn't yeah, invite me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, look. Sometimes you got to treat. I yourself, wasn't there. You know? <laughs> oh, what the hell, Laura? You got what's going on? What's I know. Here? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm interested. With how, <laughs> no, you, how you're going to yeah, land this so, story? Yeah. <laughs> now that's a lot different. That's very costly, right? So if you sold that pizza, it would be a hundred dollar pizza, right? It would be like a fifty dollar pizza. So, but that's different from when you make pizza for a living at a restaurant or a pizza joint. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking, you got to compromise. Mm-hmm. How, how are you going to buy this much uh, dough? What about like, if you're going to serve a thousand pizzas, now you need a supply chain of cheese, a supply chain of dough, uh, uh, an assembly line. So you're going to cut corners. You're going to be like, you know what? We can't buy fresh mozzarella. We're going to get, um, 
chopped up, shredded, shredded dry mozzarella. Boom. And then we're going to put it in the oven. We're going to, uh, we're going to use uh, dough that rises quicker or whatever. I don't really know all this stuff. So the idea is that there's a difference between making one and making thousands. Yeah. And when mm -hmm. you make thousands, you make compromises. So that's why things break because it wasn't that one piece. It's mm -hmm. that you had to, the key word here is manufacturing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And supply chain. That, okay. Mm -hmm. That, that makes me think of when you see some of those really old timey cars that are still on the road. Um, that's what I'm thinking now is that like somebody is, it's one person who's like still working really hard to keep that thing going and like using all the best stuff, time, materials, everything versus that car you were mentioning that you go, the, I've not seen oh, yeah. those on the street, yeah. right? No one's necessarily, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe, you know, but well, believe it or not, they're actually worth a lot of money now because there's, there's no, nobody has them, but, but totally like I had a Ford Ranger for, um, excuse me, for, uh, 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 I drove it for 16 years and it saved me from credit card debt. It saved me from taking out a loan. I, I actually saved a lot of money because I had a Ford Ranger that I bought for $1,000, basically close to garbage. Someone was going to throw it out. And the price of the repair was higher than the value of the actual vehicle. But to me, it made sense because I'm doing the labor myself. So labor is the highest cost. So yes, I put a lot of effort into keeping that thing on the road. And, uh, but there's value in that, you know? Um, and then some say like, oh, it's not made like it used to be, you know? So part of that's true, but part of it's not true. So there are better materials now, but also um, there's a lot of compromises now. So you have to think, so even though we have better engineering, better computers for predicting engineering outcomes, um, better, also a lot of uh, the world is open. It's an open market to the whole world. You can buy stuff made in China, you can stuff made in Mexico, Canada, whatever. But now they also have a lot of compromises, right? Because they're trying to, they have a lot of overhead. So uh, I would say the old, they don't make them like they used to, but they also don't make them like they used to, you know, like there's a balance. Like I said, it's a balance, you know? So yeah, like some of the stuff on the truck is complete garbage, but there's other things that really are bulletproof. Like the transmission, I've never had to service it and it's got 300,000 miles on it. And the, and the engine 300,000 miles on the engine. Right. Did the odometer stop working? Yes. At two, I, I figured, I guessed on the 300,000, it stopped at 201. That's an incredible. Yeah. I feel like my neighbor is just like you and he has two Toyota Camrys and he only buys Toyota Camrys because he knows he can fix them. And both of their odometers stopped at like 200,000 and he just like keeps, I mean, I, I find it horrifying the amount of time he spends on those cars, like <laughs> limping along. But I mean, he's saving himself a ton of money, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. And he's streamlining. Notice, see, he's almost getting yeah. into the manufacturing mindset. So he's only yeah. buying, yeah. buying that car. And when I do, yeah. is, I was like, I'm only going to focus on the Ford Ranger. And so I have all Ford Ranger. I have like a part supply. Right. You know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Love it's, that. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach. You can take that yeah. approach. Not practical yeah. for everyone. Right. Um, wait, quick question. Why does that stop working? Why does the like step their step, uh, you know, their 
their Fitbit. Why does that stop working? Oh, you mean like yeah, uh, um, uh, I don't have a car. Oh, I have never had a car, and I this <laughs> is like still a different language yeah. to me. Or I'm like, oh, what is a transmission? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, a Fitbit. It's literally oh, the Fitbit for the car. That's so funny. <laughs> see how? See how? The, think about what what you applied to that. You applied a computer that monitors your body. Uh, fitness, like uh, like your heart rate and your how many times you walked and stuff like that, you apply that to a car. See, that's, <laughs> no, that's good thinking. You see, that's, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's that's basically what Tesla <laughs> did. Car illiteracy. Yeah, they but, said yeah, basically you know. why, why they eliminated the analog parts. So, yeah. so analog, literally, it's like a cuckoo clock, like. Luke yeah. Goldberg machine, like the hammer hits the, the seesaw, which then flips the thing that turns the thing. It's literally like yeah. all these physical things, like a like a pinball machine. But you know that all these parts wear out. So why not just make it digital? Yeah. And so literally, if you look at a Tesla interior, it is literally an iPad stuck to the yeah. middle of the dash. There is nothing else. Mm. Like, yeah. literally, there's there's no buttons on the dash at all. Yeah. Not like kind of a few, zero, right? Yeah. There's only, yeah. But what happens when that breaks, though? Like yeah, that's sure. always my thought is, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like if that iPad in the middle breaks and it's like, well, when things were analog and everything was kind of its own thing, you could fix each thing, yes. which You're is the same it. we've seen. Yeah, which is the same with like any product, really. Mm-hmm. So one hour, if you have an iPad and it one little function on it like i guess some of the technology can give be like you can reboot it from wherever that is well coming in from space 100 right. um it's a risk. but what if it's not yeah yeah remember back to the balance these are all trade-offs yeah. right yeah so um you know one of the things uh also you know elon musk is at the engineering helm of these companies and and spacex uh also no buttons in their spaceship Oh, yeah. Jeez, yeah. that's yeah, fascinating. So he's putting lives at risk. But yeah. I've had the Tesla for 25,000 miles, and I only had one time where the computer shut off, but the car didn't shut off. It was just my display. And then there's like a – there's on the steering wheel, you have some rolly buttons, and you just hold the two for five seconds, and it reboots. So I don't know. Never came up again. So – Hold on. Also, that prop, like, I think this is maybe a little bit more specific, but like when you're driving, it, this just seems, I guess this is also that trade off of like safety because then you're f- focusing on this digital component and like they banned texting while you're driving, right? But now you have this iPad yeah. in the middle of your well, car. Well, it's kind of like a radio, you know, like it's in the center, but you're not really looking right. at it. You're just like, you click you're like, over. Who and knows then, what they're pressing? Yeah. It's like, I mean, like, wait, hold it's on. Not, hold it's on. not down here. Like, hold on. Like, but you're talking to somebody who doesn't drive. So, Laura, oh, let yeah. me. I don't drive. Moment to say, all you really need to drive is make sure it's in drive. You need a brake pedal, you need a gas pedal, and yeah. you need a steering wheel. What's and that? you're good. She's a subway yeah. surfer. I, you know, I'll tell you what, I know that bus schedule. Like a, a New York subway system is amazing. You know, like uh, yeah. you just can ride those. You can go anywhere you want. You know, you can hop off and hit the city bike. You can combine it. Yeah. Imagine bus, train, bike. If you got those yeah. three and they're all on your oh. passes. And, yeah. I like, as I'm like car guy to the bone. And I got to tell you, 
if, if I if I could commute to work by a train, I would. You know, I yeah. absolutely yeah. would. Yeah. And I did the bus for a while. Uh, but the problem in Jersey yeah. is they prioritize New York City. So what they do is <laughs> it's easier to get into New York City and come back out faster yeah. to do that yeah. than to take a, a local bus to your destination yeah. in Jersey. Local bus to your I'm destination, you might as well be like, yeah. you're just standing on the curb. Like, where is this bus? Where is this bus? Like, it's hard. We're all, yeah. Laura's a Laura's an avid bus taker, but I know that's, I a, am, whole, yeah. that's a whole rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we I think we probably we want to we want to wrap up. Um, okay. And uh, and so I think you know, Mr. G, that you're a, you're a fantastic storyteller. Um, thank oh, you so thank much. You. I you know just Find hearing all of this because I teach teenagers. Oh, it's you need to keep. <laughs> I, I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> When we had our little break, Laura and I agreed that if we had had a teacher like you, we would have been in that gym shop, like welding uh, the shit out of everything. So good uh, yeah. job. And by the way, the girls are the best yeah. ones when it comes to welding. Yeah. They're just not encouraged to do it. But when, if they do it, yeah. they're really good at it. Um, so not you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, not surprising. Of course they would to, be. <laughs> uh, mechanics and engineering and, mm -hmm, and uh, yeah. people don't realize, but the second in command at SpaceX is uh is a uh, Gwyneth Shotwell and she's been there mm. since the beginning so she's got 20 mm. years of space uh space engineering uh experience she's the one yeah. she's, she is the president of the company hmm. so That's even though badass. Right. the owner you know? CEO uh really she runs the company she's the president yeah. for for 20 years so I'd love to hear that, that. Yeah, oh, she'd be a great her. guest. You should get her on. Uh, okay. Yeah, we'll you know. Yeah, yeah. We'll that. yeah definitely. Totally. <laughs> so, um, okay. I just wanted to say for our listeners, right, Ron, you have a website, rongrossinger.com. We'll put all of this in the show notes. You have your Instagram, which is at Mr. G's Workshop. You have a YouTube channel, Ron Grossinger. So, there's lots of ways to find more content from you, which I think our listeners will be really curious to hear more of your stories and see more about what you share with the world. So, we just wanted to thank you. And um, you've got my wheels, pun intended, oh, yeah, unintended nice. and intended. Ah. You've got my wheels turning. Um, and I, there's a lot, of, a lot of great to come out of this conversation. So, thank you so much. Oh, yes. awesome. awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And Thanks. If, um, I teach cl uh, classes to everyone, uh, you know, not just my high school students, but people that want to learn welding or engineering or something about electric cars in Hackensack, New Jersey, and just go to the website. Nice. Uh, com or Mr. G's Workshop. Yeah. Do you live next to Billy Great. Joel? The bell. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Do you live next to Billy Joel? Just I was just wondering. Oh, yeah. Who needs a house yeah. out in Hackensack? What he didn't finish oh, wait, with that. But he's from Long Island. Yeah. Oh. What he didn't finish with that song is <laughs> if you had bought, it should have gone like this. If you buy a house out in Hackensack, you will 100x your money. Trust me, <laughs> you should buy the real estate now while it's cheap. And by the time we hit 2020s, it will be worth a million dollars. That's what he didn't tell you. That's what he didn't that tell you. Yeah, he left that part out. So it should have yeah. been, it should have been so who needs a house out in Hackensack? Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank right. you so much. Thank you. So we were, of course, having our little post-show chat, and uh, Ron was saying something that Laura and I felt very strongly about everybody <laughs> hearing. So I had asked Ron, I said, Mr. G... So is it worth it to buy a Mercedes, right? Instead of all these like 
cheap things you can have a lot of. What about the expensive things that are supposedly really well well made? So is it worth it, Mr. G? Yeah, so I'll start with the with the with the punchline is that um, there's an old saying, uh, I heard this from an old guy, and he said, I can't afford to buy cheap things anymore. And I'll say it again, I can't afford yeah. to buy cheap things. And it's like, yeah, like you could buy three Toyotas over the course of, uh, well, Toyota lasts a long time, but if you maintain it, but I, you could buy three Toyotas or you could buy one Mercedes and keep that Mercedes like 20, 30 years, you know? So, um, you know, it's back to the trade-offs, you know, Mercedes did the research They're They're making sure the car is safe, that it runs good. And there are Mercedes on the road for a very long time. However, they're very expensive and the parts are expensive and the labor is expensive. Um, So, you know, it's back to that trade-off. A couple of reasons you'd buy a Mercedes or any luxury vehicle is uh, one, you're trying to like show off your money. Um, Two, you want a comfortable car. Like, and why shouldn't you? Like you, you earn this money. Why shouldn't you have a comfortable car for your family and for yourself? And the third reason is uh, they last a long time. So, you know, like I I remember, uh, you know, we had Chevys growing up, but then when those broke uh, at like a hundred thousand miles, my, my mom, I think she saved up and she bought a Volvo. Well, that Volvo never broke. Like never. Yeah. So, you know, and that was, that was the cheap Mercedes. Uh, You know, it was, it was engineered really well by a really good company at the time. A lot of good people's and, uh, ideas in those cars. Yeah. What's that? A lot of good people's ideas in those cars. Oh, exactly. They yeah. put great ideas in there. Yeah. Uh, the engine was bulletproof. We yeah. never killed the engine. And that transmission, I beat the crap. <laughs> Just imagine me at 17. <laughs> and they gave me I a Volvo. <laughs> If they bought me a Mustang or if I somehow uh, – I did earn money as a kid. I always worked, but I did mm-hmm. – I never saved and you know, I was mm-hmm. spent. If I had saved up and bought a fast car, yeah. it would have been curtains. We wouldn't yeah. be talking to you right Volvo. now. We wouldn't be talking What's to that? you. We wouldn't be having no, this conversation. Let me tell you. There was no <laughs> throttle on that Volvo. For me, it was either you're on the brake or you're yeah. all the way on the gas. <laughs> It was just all the way, just, you know, like, and luckily it, the maximum speed yeah. with the wind, with, going downhill was 95 miles an hour. All right. Wait, was it the station wagon? Yes. And what color was it? Silver. Okay. We, we had a cream colored Volvo station wagon that was like the only car the and it was ancient and like it was a very it was very old by the time i think my my mom said i think i think it might be time and fun fact another fun fact was that uh in rolling stone magazine when i was in high school there was an article about volvo station wagons and how they were like the best car and they were all over europe and they were like these old cars from the 80s or whatever and that they were still in in use and i was like that's my mom's car (laughs) i was like wow i think i still have that article um my mom's um wall i can share a picture in our show notes those cars are so good you know how people say they're like tanks and they're big and heavy and stuff like that they're actually not relative to the size they're actually lightweight 
Yeah. It was really well engineered. And mm. so what people do now is they get an old one and they take out the engine, they put a V8 in there. Mm. And believe it or not, like they like triple the horsepower and they do yeah. like burnouts, like, like Volvo station wagon. Wow. Okay, well I'm really <laughs> glad we had became a yeah. We had to get that. We had to get that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going to that back. We're gonna, now we're going to end again. But no okay, one. No okay. <laughs> cool. Thanks again to our sponsor, Trove, the market leader in branded resale and trade-in for world-class brands and retailers. If you want to learn more about what they offer, please contact them at business at trove.com and tell them you heard about them on the Untangling Circularity podcast. Oh, hi. Uh, so we thought we would do this fun thing where we, oh, yep, we're in the middle of the season. So you already know that, but you would never know that this is our first episode that we're recording. So anyways, blah, blah, blah. My little analysis post daily analysis is that um, I really loved when Mr. G, who, what a storyteller, but um, oh, yeah. he said something about how he spent all his time in the junkyard. Or he, I don't know, he said something about the junkyard and I just flashed on like how important the concept of the junkyard is for any type of repair or any type of understanding where the value is of like, if we're talking about clothing, I am constantly telling people like nothing substitutes you taking back your own clothes and looking at them and looking how they're stained and how they're broken. And like, whatever your product is, you have to take it back. All the stuff that's broken and bad and whatever, you have to take it back and look at it and understand what's wrong with it in order to even start to understand like, how could we make this better or how could we fix it? So that I love that yeah. idea of just the like the proverbial junkyard. Yeah, that is. It's also like really important too for the end user, like not just a brand, but just average people to understand that there is no away when you throw something away. Mm. And like he was going there and seeing all of this stuff and you're right to like really understand what is coming back from your pro I mean like yeah he was like a junkyard that was probably I mean well maybe it was a scrapyard actually he wasn't super specific it might have just been like like a like a who knows whatever it was <laughs> but yeah your point of that is I agree I completely agree like to understand all of the items that are coming back to you mm-hmm. to know so that you can learn from that and yeah. know that there is no away and yeah everyone needs to get away from away there is no throwing your stuff away it right. is we and have the, to do something right and the learning of like what you get out of that yeah. experience of actually yeah. looking at and not just going oh it's broken like never mind but like looking yeah. at thousands of broken things you're like oh there's yeah. some themes here like we yeah. could design this better this could be fixed yeah. like you it really gets your wheels turning so that's my takeaway yeah Wheels turning. Wheels turning. Auto. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, bye. Um, cool. Bye. Oh, hello. This is Cynthia Power. Laura and I thank you for tuning in. And while understanding circularity and sustainability issues can sometimes have you tied in knots, we hope that by listening to this episode, you were able to untangle or shed light on a circularity issue. And in doing so, you are now empowered to make a difference in your sphere of influence. We would love to have you subscribe to this podcast wherever you consume yours and follow us across social platforms, of course. Be sure to tune in next time. Thank you.